Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson. I am so excited to share this interview with Natalie Bogwalker, who was at the forefront of the rewilding movement when it really started some 15 years ago. She is now the founder and director of Wild Abundance, which is a homesteading and permaculture school in North Carolina. Uh, We just had a really great time talking. And actually, we had a great chat before the interview officially started, and I thought it would be fun to include some of that for you today right at the top of the interview, and just to give you a little bit of a glimpse of behind the scenes of Uncivilized. So enjoy this interview. We have two more interviews to go after this, two more episodes of Uncivilized before the finale, and that's it. I hope you enjoy the show. So your stuff is primarily focused on rewilding. Is that right? And you're and you, but you're in LA. Like, how is that for you? Yeah, like, it's it is not easy. So, um, yeah. my story really is that. So, I I'm actually a musician first, and mm-hmm. that's how we ended. My husband is too, and so we were in New York, and then we were in LA, um, and yeah. then I became a writer, and I wrote a book called Unlatched, which was about my own experience. Uh, when I became a mother and about the cultural history of breastfeeding. And so that's, mm-hmm. I came to rewilding through that exploration of how we're disconnected yeah. from our own biology. And I've also mm-hmm. always just personally, like I grew up in the woods of Connecticut. Um, uh-huh. I've always been very active in environmental issues. And so, yeah, it's kind of this weird contrast of like, I'm stuck in LA and trying to make the best of it. But I, now that I know about this whole world of rewilding, like if I were in my 20s mm-hmm. again, I, we probably yeah. would have gone and, <laughs> and like learned from someone like you. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, and now I'm 40 and it's, um, yeah. this, this podcast is about trying to reconcile all of those things. Cool. That's awesome. I yeah. mean, that seems like a place that a lot of people are at in their lives right now. It were you does. born in 78? 79. 79. Cool. Yeah, I'm 42. You're 42. And how, yeah. old, how old is your, you have a daughter? I have a daughter who's um, two and a half. Who's two and a half? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, you were cutting out a little bit. Oh, wow. And how's, how's the transition? We're not technically recording yet. We're just uh, chatting while I'm doing the levels. Okay. How, so how's it been, the transition to motherhood? It's pretty intense. I mean, it's really beautiful. And like, I'm into it and I it's really interesting to be so much of a grown-up and be kind of like entering into middle age and have my life totally turned upside down you know like oh I I'm I know myself I know what I'm doing (laughs) And and then oh this is a totally different piece of of reality and one that I mean honestly I think like I don't know how old you were when you had your had your kid, but like it was really hard on my body, really, really hard on my body. And so I was, um, and I mean, I'm fine, but I think it would have been like our biology. I started menstruating when I was 10, you know? (laughs) Oh, wow. You were early. Yeah. Yeah. Super early. So I've been menstruating for like, uh, 27 years when I had my daughter. So I think, and I'm definitely kind of on the end, on the like end of slowing down my fertility rather than rather than being in the prime of it. And so it's it's been it's been interesting, and it's of course like the most beautiful thing. And it's really intense to be a mom and be the primary breadwinner and have be running a business that's like not like one of those money-making business, like, it's like, it has to be kind of a struggle to make the money come out of this business, because it's really, like, this heart-focused, lovely thing, and, like, which, you know, a lot of businesses are, but it's, like, it's not one where money just, like, easily comes to, you know, and so having that combination of just being really full on busy and really into my work and then and then feeling the sense that like my daughter really wants me to be her primary caretaker, like biologically wants me to be her primary caretaker. And that's it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, I can imagine. So where is she now? Is she with you? No. No. She's with um she's actually at childcare co op. Oh, you have a childcare co op. 
Oh my God, it's so amazing. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, we do, um, we, with four or three other families, we each watch the four kids one day a week. And then we, um, one day a week. And then on Fridays, we hire someone who has her master's in childhood development. And it's this like awesome teacher to watch the kids. So we, you know, we watch kids one day a week, we get childcare the rest of the week, and we pay a total of $100 a month in childcare. Oh, come awesome. on, that's amazing. And they're yeah, together. She must love it. Yeah, it's good. It's really, really good. It's really sweet. And it's sweet for us, you know, because I think most of us will only have one child. It's really sweet to be able to see the, to see different children and for them to almost have a sibling relationship with each other is, is really lovely. Yeah. So I'm really thankful that we've been able to do that and all of our lives have enough flexibility to where we can make that happen. So yeah, it's really awesome. That's so lovely. I was actually just talking to a good friend of mine who was very much in like the attachment parenting world. And I am by default. I just mm -hmm. discovered attachment parenting because that's just how I naturally parented. And then I was like, oh, this is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it, there's like such a misconception, especially here in LA, that attachment parenting means like you have to by yourself be with your child at all times. <laughs> oh my God. And there's so oh. much burnout. And it's like, no, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Like it's supposed to be like, when I'm visiting my family and we're living together for a couple of weeks and all the kids play and all the, you know, mm -hmm. parents cook. And it's just like, you have lots of hands there at all times. Yeah. So that yeah. you found that is just, that's a, that's a wonderful. That, I wish I had had that. <laughs> uh, how old, how, how old are, do you have one kid or multiple kids? I or? have two. So I have, uh, cool. yeah, that's amazing at this age. So my older daughter's almost nine now. And then my okay. little one just, uh, started first grade. So they're fourth and first grade. My little one's six. And yeah, I, I mean, I definitely just to get back to the, the, the physical thing, like I had them when I was mm -hmm. 30, 32, and I felt a hundred percent just like whatever. I had a super easy time. Um, yeah. But mentally, I wasn't really mm -hmm. myself until I had my children. Like it took, I feel uh -huh. like I'm the person I am now. And I'm like, oh, this is who I am. But it's taken me yeah. becoming a mother in this whole span of time to really uh -huh. to get there. So I'm, I think yeah. it's so fascinating to do it the other way to like really know yourself first yeah. and then bring a child into the world, you know, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a really different thing. It's yeah. a really different thing. And I'm thankful and uh, I wouldn't say regretful, but curious <laughs> how, how things would have been different if I would have had it, had her earlier, but. Yeah, it's good. I mean, that's the classic Saturn return time, you know, the the late 20s to find yourself. And, you know, whether you're finding yourself with your children or before you have your children is totally different. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I might, if it's okay, I might use some of this because this was good. Um, yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Natalie Bogwalker is the founder and director of Wild Abundance, a permaculture and homestead school based near Asheville, North Carolina. She and other intrepid instructors teach rewilding workshops, carpentry classes, deer hide tanning, and more. Natalie spends her time foraging, building, gardening, crafting, parenting, and sharing her passion for earth-based living. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you. And I, I got to admit, I really don't know where to start because most of the folks I speak with only do one of the things you do, like foraging or working on community <laughs> building. And you do so much. I just, uh, how did you learn to do all this? How did you become Natalie Bogwalker? <laughs> is that your real name? Um, it is, 
in a way my real name, but I was not, I wasn't given the name Bob Walker. Okay. I, it I mean, it is your real name. I'm like, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Of course yeah, it, no, you're no, no, given. No, no, I was, um, I was walking in a blueberry bog, um, near Olympia, Washington about, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, something like that. And it was, and I was gathering all these blueberries and it was just very exciting. And, um, and I felt very powerful and it was just lovely. And so I came up with, I just, bog walker sounded right. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's beautiful. And so tell me, tell, tell us a little, maybe we should start a little bit before that. So what, what led mm-hmm. you to be gathering blueberries in Washington and, and where, you know, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Washington state and I grew up in the woods right now. I think the place where I grew up has become a suburb, but, um, but it was the woods when I was there and the country and the woods. And I loved being in the woods and my mom taught me a lot about um, botany and wild foods and taught me how to make my first baskets. I mean, they weren't baskets made out of wild forage materials. They were baskets with reed from the store, but it was really awesome that she gave me, gave me so much knowledge and taught me how to cook and was just super duper supportive. So, um, so yeah, I grew up in the country. I wandered through the forest a lot and I, had a young interest in wild foods and then I decided I, I also really like school and I like math a lot <laughs> so you went to a regular I, school I, I went to a regular public school and um and then I uh got hit by a car actually I was studying genetic engineering of all things I wanted to help find a cure for AIDS and I was studying genetic engineering I was a junior in college and I got hit by a car and um and then I just went into it was actually really amazing like initiatory experience like when people asked about it I'm like yeah that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it really shook me to my core like oh wow I could die like what am I gonna do with this one very precious life that I have. You were hit while you were walking? What what happened? I was riding my bicycle and it was on the Burt Gilman Trail in Seattle. And um I came to this place on the trail where where a road crosses and I I slowed down and I looked both ways and there were no cars and so I proceeded and a car with a granny in it who I guess couldn't see very well came around the corner and just smashed into me and I was on the windshield for I don't know almost a block and then she and I smashed the windshield with my helmet and then she slammed on her brakes and then I flew into a telephone pole and you know I was wearing a helmet (laughs) and um and I had some nerve damage and that was my I was 19 and that was my initiation into natural medicine. And luckily, one of my housemates was an acupuncturist and one of my housemates was a massage therapist. And so, and the insurance paid for it. And so I, I got to experience the very real healing of um, alternative medicine. And like, I hadn't felt my foot for three months. And then after one acupuncture appointment, I could feel my foot. And so um, I got a couple grand of a settlement and I went traveling at that point. And I really wanted to, wanted to just know more about the world before I like committed myself into one small path, which is just so crazy, you know, that in our culture, that's kind of the theme is that when you're like 18 or 19, you're, you have to choose your path. <laughs> Bonkers. And so I traveled the world, not really the world. I went to Western Europe that night. Um, and I, uh, stayed in hostels and I worked in hostels cause I didn't, I only had, you know, a small amount of money and, and I got to know people and really just saw a lot. And then I went back to school and I studied ecological agriculture and I lived on a couple communes and various things. Um, 
went on some epic bicycle journeys, had a really amazing early 20s. And then I went back to school, studied ecological agriculture um, at the Evergreen State College. And then I, uh, I was a cook. I had a, um, I had a local organic food catering business and um, was a cook. And then I worked at Brighton Bush Hot Springs as a cook. And then I ended up going, um, going back to Europe and living in a squat in Barcelona and started to help start this big community garden there. And then I traveled around and gave, gave talks and pledges about um, anarchism and squats in Spain. And then I ended All right, up I'm going to stop you right there. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have to ask, no, a lot of our listeners don't know, what is a squat? A squat is when there's an abandoned house. And in this particular house, was like 1,200 years old. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. So there's this 1,200-year-old abandoned leper colony that's like a five-minute walk to the metro station in Barcelona, and this building was just um, vacant because of there's, there's all sorts of weird political reasons why that was happening. And so, um, so a bunch of people... Um, occupied it and turned it into this amazing social center where um, where people come to learn all sorts of things. And, and I was there kind of near the beginning and started a big, helped start a big community garden there. And so that was, yeah, that was a really amazing experience and, and like uh, Spanish culture really influenced. Like I was really kind of uptight and had done a lot of like activist-y things in the U.S. before that. And just, it really, like, people would keep saying, tranquila, tranquila, to me, because I was kind of uptight. And so <laughs> it really helped me to relax a little bit. And then um, when I came back to the States, I, uh, I traveled around and gave some slideshows. And then I went traveling in Latin America and um, worked down there and then came back to the States because my dad was really sick. And I moved in with them, and they were in Atlanta to kind of help take care of him. And I was, like, 22, I guess, at the time. And then um, I just fell in love with the, with the biological diversity of the Southeast. And I wrote an email to all of my friends and said, does anyone know of a community, because I was really into intentional community, that is into wild food, because that has always been, had always been a huge passion of mine, that's in the southeast, and this a couple of people had just started this place called Wild Roots, and so that's this community in western North, North Carolina that's really focused or was was really really focused on rewilding. And I joined them and myself and lived in in a tent at first, which you know people think North Carolina is the south, it's warm, but it gets down to like negative five degrees here. So I lived in a tent one winter, and then I canvas lean to, and then I built myself a bark hut living there. And then finally, I built myself a little straw clay cabin. And so that was over the span of five years. And during that time, I traveled with my friend, Dee Dee, and we gave um, slideshows across the country about rewilding. And that was like about 15 years ago. So That, that was 15 um, years ago. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. that's that's pretty amazing because I know, you know, I and a lot of our listeners are just hearing about it now. So this is something that's been going on for a really long time. Um, and I'm, so I'm kind of struck. I, I want to stop you for a second because I'm kind of struck just listening to you because you're so immersed in this person that you are now. And you said that when you had the accident, it was almost like an initiation into this world. And so I'm just wondering, maybe we could just like back up a little bit. And um, I just would love to hear like, what did your parents think when you started on this path to become this person? You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. it, see, it almost seems like once you're opened to this world, it just, you keep mm -hmm. going and going and going and it building and building. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're a rewilder living, you know, off grid and you're capable of doing all these things. But like, I'm really interested in that transition. Like, how does it happen? So yeah. yeah like, what did your parents think? Um, can My we back parents? up a little? Sure. 
Oh yeah, of course. Sorry. Um, my parents, they really always just want me to be happy and safe. <laughs> so, That's like I my mom. That's all. She... <laughs> oh. Same thing. She always it's said, really... she always trusted my moral judgment. She oh. always just said she just wanted That's me so to be lovely. safe. Yeah. Nice. What did your parents That's... do? Um, my dad is educated as an engineer and he, um, managed diaper, disposable diaper factory for most of my childhood. Oh, wow. And he just, yeah, (laughs) he's a really good guy and he's a really good manager. And that's something that I've asked him, like had lots of questions for him as I've like moved into like, you know, starting the firefly gathering and running wild abundance. Like there's a lot of working with people and he's had a lot of wisdom for me, which I'm really thankful for. And like, you know, his lifestyle and my lifestyle are vastly different, but they, they're actually excited about possibly moving next door to us, <laughs> Carolina. So they're, they're, I mean, I think they've been curious, but they, and especially when I was younger, I think they were, they had some level of concern, but I think just like, it sounds like your mom was like very, very, um, very affirming and, and trusting. And I think when I just becoming financially independent, which I did pretty darn early, I think that that was really big for them. Like, oh, she can take care of herself. This is okay. (laughs) Right. You're not just spending their money to go gallivanting around the world. No. This is your own journey. Right. Um, Yeah. And your mom, so, and you said your mom taught you a lot of uh, your knowledge yeah. went as a young. So, what did she do? Did she come from a background where she was? Tell me about. Tell me about your mom. What did she do? So, my mom grew up in a really conventional situation. She had. She was part of a family that had six children, and she um, was the second. So, she was mothering a lot. You know, along with her own mother, she was she was mothering a lot, and her mom went back to school. Um, to become a teacher when, when I think my mom was just a few years old. And so that was a lot of the mothering, you know, was put on her. And so she, um, she was just kind of at the very beginning of, um, of a lot of feminism. And I think had, it's just, it's really confusing, and I, I bet you can relate because we're about the same age. Like a lot of the women who were in the generation before us, like things were really different. Like in the carpentry classes that I teach, like all these women, I teach women's carpentry classes, and these women, some of them, many of them, are in their sixties, and they come and they're like, "Yeah, I wanted to take shop in high school," and they wouldn't let me, you know. And it's a similar thing for my mom. Like I think there were a lot of doors closed to her that she would have like really flown on but like the way that women were um treated and unwelcomed in a lot of places in our culture it was just really different and so um that's true I should say by the way my mom is really great with power tools she was always the one who fixed everything in our house but she was slapped across the ass at her first job right out of college so like you know, by her older male boss. So, I mean, yes, it's, uh, (laughs) I think even if you managed to have some of those skills, you certainly weren't living in a world where, you know, I don't know, you were welcome to, to assert yourself anywhere. Yeah. We're really lucky. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's crazy stuff going on now too. And I like feel so thankful for like the work that those women did, but, but anyway, so she was able to stay home with my, my sister and I, and she gardened and she cooked and she put a lot of energy into um, into helping us develop our creativity and um, our interests. And I'm so thankful for that. So you have so, siblings. Yeah. yeah, I have one sister. Okay. Is she on a similar path that you're on? No, she's on a different path. She is a um, she has two PhDs. And she is a college professor. So interesting how siblings yeah. can be so different. And they take those, you know, all of the things from their background and just it become completely different people. Yeah. 
definitely true. It's very true. And we we spend a lot of time together, which is really sweet. And she's really excited to hang out with my daughter, her niece, and it's really lovely to see their bond. And yeah, it's good. Yeah. Does she live close by? No, she she has been at Michigan and then she right now is in Portland. And she's kind of she's kind of remaking her her figuring out her next step right now. Yeah. So So you don't have a lot of family uh, nearby at the moment, although I can imagine. Well, I want to talk more about the family that Wild Abundance has become. But um, yeah, yeah, maybe let's get. Okay, I keep interrupting you. Go back to your story. (laughs) So uh, no, no, no. So so at the point where you're living already in this lean-to and you built a house for yourself, right? Uh huh. Where, how, how long ago was that? That was 15 years ago. You said you're teaching classes about rewilding, right? We were traveling around and doing slideshows about rewilding. Yeah. Yeah. And um, how were those received by the way back then? Really well, really well. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, I think we were really pioneers. I mean, it was us and John Zerzan and Rotten and, you know, it was, it was, it was a really, it was really edgy and new and exciting and there were um there were gatherings called feral visions that happened and yeah it was it was cool it was really it was really awesome and i think that i think that um i'm really happy that Didi and i were there at the kind of at the beginning of that because i think it really um brought like a female perspective into rewilding at the time that i think in in its nascent place i think it was just really important for us to be there. And I think it's kind of the same thing with the, when I started the Firefly Gathering, which was kind of the next step after Wild Roots. Um, yes, so tell us Roots. about Firefly for our listeners who don't know. So fire, the Firefly Gathering is an event that happens once a year, usually around the summer solstice. It's four days. And there it's an educational event where there are two class sessions a day. And there are usually about 30 classes offered per session that have to do with rewilding, homesteading, and um, just living with the earth and natural medicine and stuff like that. And so, you know, you might be spoon carving or bow making or cow milking or, you know, whatever, weaving, basket weaving, making cattail hats, like there's all this stuff. And it's really cool because it happens in the Southeast. Um, and there's a lot of people who live in more old timey ways in the Southeast that, that are able to come to those events and share and are really excited to share. So, um, and at, I'm not exactly sure right now, I actually passed the event on to different leadership a couple of years ago so that I could focus more on wild abundance and on being a mom. Um, and I passed it on to, um, this woman, Chloe Tipton, who's, really awesome and lovely and she studied for a long time with Eustace Conway I was just gonna ask you about Eustace Conway because yeah yeah you're in the same area yeah we're close we're like two hours oh okay but yeah he's awesome he's awesome I've gotten lots of advice from him I just I'm (laughs) sure I, I just read Elizabeth Gilbert's book did you ever read that book I did The Last American Man oh it was one of my yeah it's my favorite of her books actually nice yeah nice yeah, I really, I really like that book. Yeah, he has given advice about building, how to deal with building inspectors and about Toyota trucks. <laughs> um, lots <laughs> of advice about those two things. But um, Amazing. Anyway, so... Uh, so, but so Fireflies for women, It's is it only for women? No, it's co-ed. Oh, it's it is co-ed, co-ed. It, okay. It is co-ed. And it, um, it, it was... Um, and I'm not sure if it still is, but it was the biggest earth skills gathering in the country. And we tried to, and that happened about three years after it started. It, it became, became big really quickly. And um, it was really our goal to expose people to rewilding and to earth skills who just hadn't had that exposure before, you know, thinking back to myself as a teenager, like had I attended one of these events, like my mind would have been totally blown. And so it was, I definitely focused a lot on um, not just trying to, trying to make a club where everyone 
already knew everybody and stuff, but rather to really outreach, do a lot of outreach and, um, and invite people to attend or just to get exposed to the ideas that we, that we were, you know, putting out there uh, in a much wider audience. So that's something that was, that was really important to me. And, um, and I think still continues to be with the, with the current leadership, but yeah, I started it 12 years ago and then I ran it for 10 years and um, I started with a friend but then continue organizing after the first year. And so then I ran it for 10 years and then I just handed it over. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Wild Abundance has, has blossomed. Wild Abundance has been around. It's, it's my school that I, that I run in North Carolina for rewilding and homesteading and building and natural building. And um, I started it nine years ago, but and it, it's been great, but since I re- released Firefly, um, it has really blossomed into into something that I'm really feeling so passionate and good about. So, yeah, it just feels really good to to have um, to have movements and and to to create something and then have somebody else take it over. And it changes, of course, you know, and probably for the best over time and people need to make it their own, but it feels just so great to see it still existing and, and still touching people's lives and me not having to, to do the nitty gritty part of it right. anymore. Yeah. So I'm, I want to ask now that you have more energy to devote to wild abundance. I mean, actually, you know what I want to ask you, do you think that there's been this sudden takeoff uh, in wild abundance because of this energy that you have now to devote to it? Or do you think there's something else going on at like in our society that all of a sudden people are just flocking to experiences like this? What do you think is responsible for, for this sudden, you know, excitement, I think around these kinds of classes and, and what's happening right now at wild abundance? Well, I think there's a, there's a combination of a lot of things going on. I mean, our women's carpentry classes, which we've been running for six years, they're they're really cool like people come and they usually I mean some people have some experience or some of the women have some experience but some have like zero experience like most have zero experience and they come with zero experience and after four days they leave and they have made themselves a shelf to take home like they, they and they have worked on these bigger projects together as a group and like really honed their skills with um with using power tools and it's just it's just amazing and like after eight days because then we have an advanced women's carpentry that we offer separately that's for additional days and like i mean these women are like knowing their way around a job site and i mean it's just it's shocking to see how competent they become over just for just this eight days you know they do both programs and i was i was actually talking during closing circle of this last class I was talking about like some people were like, I wish I could just do everything. I'm like, you know, you've had eight days of instruction in this. Like think about how many days of instruction you've had on like math or history. Or right. Right. Anything, you know, and it's like, it's, it's just amazing to me to see how far they come. But anyway, so that class has really taken off recently. And I think that, part of the reason is because of the Me Too movement. And I think part of it is just with our current political situation, I think there's a lot of women who are really seeking like real skills for empowerment. And so I think that's part of it. Um, With our women's rewilding class, I think it's a similar thing. And I think that there's, I think that with the rewilding specifically, like there's this huge like backlash to our technocratic culture you know I mean it's almost all of our interactions are mediated by some sort of technology and so I think that the rewilding stuff is really an answer to that and I think the homesteading stuff I think some people are really freaked out about collapse and I think that's why a lot of people are really interested in permaculture and in learning gardening and natural building I mean it's also just because it's fun and it's wonderful and people like to do it definitely concern about collapse and kind of a backlash to like technocracy. I think, I think both of those things. So yeah, you, so you do see some preppers then. 
or maybe I shouldn't even say yeah. preppers. I mean, preppers has this negative connotation, but like, I feel the same way. I, I want to know these skills because I envision a, a world where one day I might need to actually use them more than I do now. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. How do you feel? I mean, do you, do you feel like we're in a state of collapse? Are you, you seem so hopeful about the future. Everything I read on your website is all about <laughs> integration and how we can bring rewilding into the present. And I'd love to get your thoughts on the big picture. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I yeah. mean, I said something that, that I've learned over, like, I mean, when I was in my early 20s and traveling around talking about rewilding, I was very, like, hopeful of revolution and collapse and all these things. And, like, now in my life, I think that I feel, and now I have a daughter and I am, you know, hopefully more mature and I feel really scared of this thing. You know, I feel, I feel, I feel really sad about the current ecological crises going on. I feel curious if we're going to find a way out and all during all of that, I feel very committed to working on creating a future that could be possible. And whether that's going to happen, I have no idea. But I want to co-create that. And I think that living in a way that's connected with the earth is the way I want to live, no matter what's going to happen. And that's the lifestyle that I want to, I want to promote and I want to spread and share because I think it's something that is so very basic to being a human and it's something that's being lost at a rapid rate. And so what Wild Abundance is really doing is taking those skills and those lost or arts that are becoming lost and trying to bring them back and trying to re-educate people and reintegrate people so that they can so that they can live in a way that's connected both with the natural world and with each other and so that's yeah I mean I think who knows what's going to happen is my take on it my partner is much more much more doom and gloom but <laughs> I have no idea yeah and what does your partner think? I should say, so Frank is one of the teachers at Wild Abundance, right? Yes, he is. He is. And he's also the father of my of my lovely daughter, Hazel. Aww. And, um, yeah, and is my love. And he, he uh, is pretty convinced that um, climate change is going to be really, 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 really crazy and hard. And that there's no way out. And I definitely see that. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not gonna, you know, go into it like like it's really easy when you do a lot of reading and you're educated about climate change. It's really easy to just like want to get depressed and like I don't know, even get be suicidal or whatever. But it's that's not that's not how I want to live my life. Like I like being hopeful. <laughs> So I'm going to be hopeful and I'm going to like suck the marrow out of life while I'm here and I'm going and I chose to have a child, you know, I mean, all of these things like I'm, I'm, I'm going on the, I'm on the team of let's, let's try. Yeah, I love that. Suck the marrow out of life. Spoken like a true rewilder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think think the Rose said that or something. I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to have to look that up after we talk because I, that sounds like something I should know, but I don't admittedly. So, um, yeah, well, I, I, I bet your day to day feels so much more satisfying than I guess mine does in LA, which sometimes feels like the apocalypse. I I mean, how does, so how does it feel? Like, can you tell me just because I know we're running to the end of our time together, but what what is what does your day look like? Like what does it feel to live in wild abundance? Um what are you doing well, on a day-to-day basis other than talking to curious podcasters? <laughs> um well, the, this month I'm doing a lot of teaching. 
right now we're we're actually tomorrow we're starting a class where we're building two tiny houses. We're gonna we have one group and we're splitting it up and we build one mobile tiny house and one permanent tiny house and for people in the community. And so um, there's a lot of, I mean, my life is full of crazy juxtapositions. Like there's like ordering lumber and cutting it and, and like managing systems of coordinating classes and having, having people, lots of people working for wild abundance and being dependent on me to like steer this ship to, make sure that they they get paid and that um all that and then there's like and raising a child and raising a child and having like I get up in the morning and I do yoga and I go for a walk in, in the woods or a barefoot run in the woods and then it's straight into mommy land and then it's often teaching or if I'm not teaching then I'm gardening or I'm going gathering or I'm working on the computer <laughs> so you do spend so, a good amount of time on the computer. Oh, I have to. I have to. And that's really what got me out of living at Wild Roots, that community that, that's, super, um, that's super primitive where I learned how to tan hides and I started learning how to build. And then I started organizing the Firefly Gathering. I'm like, oh, shoot, I need a computer to organize this. And back then there wasn't like, there weren't hot spots. Like, <laughs> I needed, um, I needed, uh, I needed internet. And so, and so I ended up moving in with my, with my boyfriend at the time up in Boone and uh, off the grid, but that's a whole nother story. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I also wanted to, wanted to talk about um, hide tanning a little bit. Yes. That's what I was going to ask you about. I have a big star next to it because mm -hmm. this oh, is something yeah. that you, we don't, in LA that's not offered a lot in the rewilding or primitive skills classes we have here. <laughs> there are a lot of rewilders in yeah. LA who are vegan. So uh, yeah, uh -huh. I'm super fascinated. Tell us all about the online, the, I just write online high tanning. Yes, <laughs> Tell us about that. So the high tanning class. The high tanning class. So I've been teaching high tanning for 14 years. And so what high tanning is, is taking a deer hide and which most of my deer hides actually come from um, there's this dumpster where the um, the meat processor is like a hunter will kill a deer. They take their deer to the meat processor and then the meat processor takes off the hide and processes the meat and gives it back to the hunter. But, you know, tanning a deer hide is a lot of work, especially using the brain tan method, which is the method I use, which is totally non-toxic. It's all, it's all natural materials. And so, um, so there's all these hides that end up in the center. I mean, it's a lot of work to process them. But, um, but taking those hides and turning them into beautiful, soft, like buckskin is like the softest material ever. Like it makes silk seem like shabby. And, wow. um, and turning it into clothing and then, and then wearing that clothing and walking in the forest. Like it's, a, it's just a really cool experience to be wearing clothing that came from the forest and being in the forest like it makes me feel like I belong in the forest in a totally different way than if I'm just wearing whatever clothes like it's it's like I'm I'm really a forest creature that's pretty cool and so I've been teaching the skill for 14 years it's it's kind of the first primitive skill that I got really proficient at and um, and we've just had people from all over the place write us about our high tanning class that can't make it. And they're like in Wisconsin or Ohio or L.A. or British Columbia or England or wherever. And they really want to learn high tanning. They're asking me, is there a person who teaches this near me? And I have no idea. And so I have, I mean, some of the places I do, but most places no. And so I decided to make an online class and I... Oh, so it is online. That wasn't a online. mistake. It, it really, okay. I thought yeah, I wrote that it is. for some reason. Okay. No, no. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's a, it's, it was quite the feat 
to make, you know, most people have online classes where they're just like talking in front of the camera, which is really honestly a much easier way to make an online class, but I don't seem to make things easy for myself. So <laughs> um, we spent a lot of time and a lot of money putting together this really incredible program. And it, it we've had, before we ever released it, we released it last year. And before we released it, we had 10 people audit the class and give us all their feedback that they might have to make it easier to follow. And um, the success rate of people um, who have followed through with the program has so far been 100% as far as tanning hides. Like it's, it's an extremely effective program. And I go into all sorts of explanations. And it comes also with a 100-page course manual. And it is really awesome. <laughs> and so if you live somewhere that you don't have access to a teacher to learn how to tan hides, and even if you do, it is an amazing resource. Like I've had students who've taken my four-day hide tanning class, um, then take the online program, and they're like, wow, you know, there's no way you could have gone this far into depth in the in-person program. And thank you so much for this because, you know, people can use it for the rest of their lives. Like it's, a, you get lifetime access to it. And it's just a really, it's, it's a really powerful program to be able to introduce like a basic skill that like almost every human knew how to do to people in this modern day where the skill is really pretty rare. And it's a skill that I think can, has the power to be just so deeply connective. And it's definitely a lot of work. And it's not intuitive. Like, I don't know how our, like, deep, deep ancestors found out how to tan hides. Like, I think they probably had some interesting relationships with some fungi and special plants that gave them some... Some insights, right. <laughs> but also, it's process. brain tanning, right? It's, so you're u actually using yeah. brains. So... Yes, you can use brains or you can use egg yolks or you can use soy lecithin. Like basically what you need is lecithin and fat yeah. to tan the hide and the, the natural source is brain. Well, we know, I mean, that 100,000 years ago, there probably wasn't soy lecithin just <laughs> sitting by a hide that led to this, you know, discovery. But yeah, it's, it's No, amazing. nor was there tofu. Maybe there were just brains when on a piece of... I don't know, on a hide and it got soft. I can't even imagine how that skill yeah. came about. That's just amazing. Um, yeah, it's incredible. So if I want to sign and up for it, how do I even how do I even get a hide in L.A.? Well, um, we provide the hide. Oh, so, pretty cool. Oh, we can provide the hide. So basically our class, if you go to wildabundance.net, where you could register for the online hide tanning class, you could register for the tiny house class, although it's full for this year. You could register for women's carpentry or a permaculture class or all sorts of things, women's rewilding. So anyway, if you go to wildabundance.net and you click on the top bar on classes, and then you click classes by name, then one of the options is online hide tanning class. Okay. And so... Yeah. Very cool. That's, We're going to put the links to that. And I know there are people who are going to want to take some of your in-person classes too. So how, how far in advance do they usually fill up? Um, it varies, okay. but usually it's a good idea to sign up with like, well, the tiny house class fills up really fast. Like it's starting tomorrow and it filled up like two and a half months ago. And we've had like people begging to get in and we're like, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there are only so, so many tiny uh, houses we can build. Yes, exactly. And in, in how many days? Four houses. days? Eight days? No, no. That's a 10-day class. Oh, that's a 10-day. Okay. tiny houses and natural building. It's like, it's really cool. I mean, most tiny house classes in this country, like, it's a um, seminar format where you, like, go and sit in this classroom with, like, 80 or 100 other people and, like, see slides. Whereas this one, you're actually building houses. <laughs> very, yeah. very different. And learning earthen plaster and learning earthen paints and how to pour a foundation. And I mean, it's really legit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that class is 10 days. Most of our classes are four days, except for the tiny house class and the permaculture class. 
And then we have a um, we have a nine month Earth Skills and Permaculture Immersion, and that's one three day weekend a month. So, and that's for people who yeah. live near nearby you. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And although I have had somebody take it who lives in Texas, which is a little crazy. Flying <laughs> in once a month, but uh, but your classes are but, really yeah, really worth it. So apparently yeah they are they are you know so i'm asking about your classes of course for our listeners and we're going to put all the links up but also selfishly because i'm turning 40 and and i'm just going to put it out there that one of my dreams is to treat myself to one of your classes and come visit you oh that would be like a dream sometime this year to take one of your building classes so that would be awesome i would love to have you Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. be- before we go, Natalie, where else can people get in touch with you? I, I know you have an Instagram account. Uh, can you tell yeah. us about that and where else on social media you are? Just give us those links. Yes, yeah, of course. So wildabundance.net is our website. Um, we are Wild Abundance on Facebook and we are Wild Abundance on Instagram. And are you and doing your Instagram you account like- or do you have someone else doing it for you? I post things on it but someone else manages it. Yeah. That's that's understandable. <laughs> but you I'm but do you read if, if people have questions and they want to write in? Yeah. They're able to get in touch with you through any of those platforms? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Wonderful. Now, yeah. any closing thoughts you want to leave us with for people who really really wish they could live the life that you're living right now but live maybe in LA or another city like me? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is baby steps, you know, like, and not being hard on yourself. I mean, I think that, I think that one of the worst things you can do if you're trying to live a more radical life is to, is to be hard on yourself for not, for not being more hardcore, not doing things in a certain way. And I think, I think the best thing you can do is to take small steps and make sure that those steps progress you know, learn, go outside, get some, get some books, learn one wild plant, maybe take the online high tanning course. That, that was a little self-promotion there. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe um, teach your kid how to make, like look up online, go to YouTube, figure out how to make cordage and teach your kid how to make cordage. Like, I mean, I think that, I think that rewilding communities that, that I've seen in this country in various times can be really welcoming, but sometimes they can be kind of intimidating. And I think it's really important to not be intimidated and to not be hard on yourself and to just take it one step at a time. Thanks, Natalie. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio so you don't miss the next one. And please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. If you want to talk more about this episode or have an idea for a future show, head on over to my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson one. As with every episode, the resources and links for the show are available at jennifergrayson.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Our theme music is by composer Paul Damien Hogan. That's it for me. And I'll be back soon with a new episode.